Okay, if you would, take your Bible this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 10 once again. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 26, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter, verse 39. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great flight, fight of afflictions, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me on my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance." Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he shall come, will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul." title of the message this morning is Facing the Judgment with Faith or Fear. Facing the Judgment with Faith or Fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you that we can have assurance and confidence in the word of truth. I pray as we look into the word of God today that we allow you to speak to our hearts and allow the Spirit of God to have his will and his way. Pray that we'd have ears to hear, hearts to obey, that you would be glorified and we would be helped. Lord, we pray if there's any in our midst who do not know the Lord as their Lord and Savior, I pray that the Spirit of God would convict, bring conviction and bring them to a place of repentance and faith in thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible is a book about faith and of faith. It's about ordinary people doing ordinary and sometimes extraordinary things by faith in an omnipotent or all-powerful God. It's also about choices and the consequences of those choices. You know, four times the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and here in Hebrews 10.38. Now, Hebrews is an epistle or a letter that was written probably to the church at Jerusalem, challenging people to live by faith in the finished work of Christ and not to go backward by leaning on the sacrifices of animals or which would be leaning on dead works, which would really be the works of the flesh. You know, there are some people that believe that you get saved by faith, but then you've got to keep it. 
You've got to keep yourself saved. You've got to do good works to keep yourself saved. That's leaning on the flesh. That's not living by faith. That's not living by faith in the finished work of Christ. You know, we, don't, we don't do good works to keep ourselves saved. So we do good works to please the Father. It comes out of a, 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 a changed heart, a changed will. And we'll look at that later on in the message and trying to define you and help you understand that. But this morning, as we consider this, the, the, the passage starts out with a conjunction. The word for connects us to what we have previously looked at, that about how Christ uh, is the, the culmination or the fulfillment of all the, the blood of bulls and goats that have been offered through the centuries under the law. And, and so he is the fulfillment of that. He satisfied the righteousness of God on our behalf. His, his, his sacrifice... Uh, is complete, is sufficient. Uh, he has sanctified forever them that are sanctified and or perfected forever them that are sanctified. We don't need anything else. We need all we need is Jesus Christ. And and so as we consider this this morning, as we think about this willful sin, we turn away from that, knowing that is to willfully sin against God. Now. This can be applied several ways, but I want, to, I want to define, first of all, what willful sin is, and then I believe there's two examples or ways this passage tells us that a person can willfully sin, and then what it means to, to um, uh, live by faith. So, uh, as we think about this this morning, first of all, the sin, uh, the unwillful sin is a sin with intention. That's what willful sin means in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. The word willfully means voluntarily or willingly of one's own accord with deliberate intention. Deliberate intention. Now, here, I guess it's been, what? week and a half ago, two weeks ago now, I hit a deer with the Suburban. Now, I've been wanting to get a deer, but I had no intentions of hitting it with the Suburban. That was not intentional. That was not willful. Now, last week, I shot a six-point buck. That was willful. I intended to shoot that buck. And that's the difference here. We're talking about something that is intentional. When we sin willfully, we're talking about something that's deliberate, something that's intentional, an intentional sin of one's own choice, and, and it is a knowing. You know, Thayer's Greek lexicon goes on to describe it this way. Willful sin is tacitly opposed to sins committed inconsiderately or from ignorance or from weakness. We're not talking about, well, you had a weakness in the flesh or it's something you didn't understand or didn't know. No, we're talking about something you knew about, you knew it was sin, and you did it anyway. That's willful sin. It wasn't something that was an inconsiderate act without thinking. It was, you know, that would be an inconsiderate act without thinking. It would be like a reaction to something that we had not thought through and thereby committed an offense. You know, Peter sinned because of a weakness, and he reacted to the pressures of the circumstances of the time, and he denied the Lord. You know, that was a weakness. In fact, Peter gives evidence of that weakness later on, even after he's the pastor at Jerusalem. He, he goes, uh, uh, 
in Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about it in verse 12. He says that before a certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but then they come. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. You know, Peter had a weakness with peer pressure. He, he had a weakness with what other people thought about him. You know, we think of Peter as this little bus, boisterous, you know, always quick to open his mouth. And he was. But the reality was, he had a weakness. He, he was concerned about what other people thought about him. That was a weakness he had. That was not a willful sin. He didn't intend, he didn't intend the night that they arrested Jesus, he did not intend to betray him. He had no intentions. In fact, the Bible tells us that he, 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 he told Jesus he would go with him even under death. You know, he would not deny him. He had no intentions of that. You know, the truth is, we can, be, can easily become overconfident in our own strength and fall into sin. You know, Peter was confident in himself, and when the Lord told him he would deny him, he said, you know, I'll go even unto death, you. But then when things did not go as he thought they should have, you know, he wanted to pull out his sword and, 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 and you know, take care of this crowd, even though he was vastly outnumbered. He didn't, really, he didn't really think through. He was just reacting. He had not thought through what he was doing. You know, 12 against the whole multitude. And he's going to pull out a sword and fight. And he cuts off one of the servants of the high priest. I mean, he was serious. He intended to fight. Instead, he gets rebuked by his master, who says, put up your sword. Because, see, Jesus came to die. That was his purpose in coming. Peter hadn't really really thought that completely through. He wasn't willing to let the Lord die. And then they arrested him and took him. And so this was a weakness. So in his weakness, he denied the Lord. That was not a willful sin. See, willful sin here is a knowledge, a sin of knowledge as well. You know, again, we know full well what we're doing. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. An example of a willful sin would be Judas. Judas sinned willfully in betraying the Lord. You know, he traveled with the Lord's church, with Jesus as his pastor. And how do you get any better than that, to have Jesus as your pastor and teacher? Yet, in Luke 22 and verse 4, the Bible says, And he went his way, and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray them, him unto them. You see, by deliberate choice, Judas planned the betrayal of his Lord and his pastor, the great shepherd. He planned it. The, the chief priest didn't come to him and say, Hey, Judas... Hey, Judas, if we are in the garden, we know he comes into the garden, and if, and if we come in there and arrest him, and if, to arrest him, and it's dark, how are we going to, could you point us out, point him out to us? I mean, we'll pay you to do it. That didn't happen. You know, Judas went to them and made an agreement with them how he might betray the Lord. You see, this was a deliberate, knowing choice of Judas. This was a, will, it was a willful sin. It was a choice of knowledge. He knew who Jesus was. In fact, after he betrayed him, then he said, I have betrayed 
innocent blood. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what he was doing was wrong. His remorse demonstrates that. So this was, so willful sin is a sin with intention. In other words, you intend to do it. You knowingly do it. Now there's two, two ways, two examples or ways a person can sin willfully. And I want to notice those two things. Number one, a willful sin can be committed by a saved person. Notice this is verses 26 through 38 again. For if we, we, so the writer here is including himself, we sin willfully after that we've, we have received the knowledge of truth, there remain a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fourfold looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which should devour the adversaries, he despised Moses' law, died without mercy under two or three witnesses, talking about an Old Testament uh, act there. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, no, where, no with, notice, wherewith he was sanctified. That word sanctifies means set apart from sin. In other words, set apart from the penalty of sin. So this is talking about a saved person. Uh, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, that means a common or ordinary thing. So there's, we're not, you know, he, 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 puts the blood of Christ on the same level with the blood of anybody. It's really, or the blood of bulls and goats. And hath done despite, or despised, the conviction of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his, his people. Now, I'm talking about lost here. We're talking about his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And then he, he talks about how these people had endured and how they had that given evidence of salvation. And then in verse 38, he says, Now the just shall live by faith. Any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So again, we notice here that he says, uh, why well, I believe he's speaking to professing Christians here, he, he says that we, two times in verse 26 and also in verse 30, and in verse 30 he says, The Lord shall judge his people, verse 29, he says, wherewith he was sanctified. Uh, verse, it also says they had been illuminated. And if you notice in uh, uh, verse, uh, and write down where the verse was, oh, verse 32, but call remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, that word illuminated means to enlighten the understanding. In other words, these people had come to an understanding of salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I mean, they had adored great afflictions, verse 22. That means they had they'd bore ill treatment bravely and calmly. They had endured hard trials. They had been made a spectacle of. They were like a, they were said they were, uh, verse uh, uh uh, 33, partly while she were made a gazing stock. So, so it's like they were the, the theatrics for people to make fun of, you know, and, 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 and poke fun at, you know, so like, uh, Saturday Night Live makes fun of certain people, you know, and you become the theatrics of those, you know, jokes and so on. And, and this is the kind of thing that these people endured. They were made fun of. And, and so they were made a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions. So they suffered in their character and their reputations were, were, were tarnished. And, and, you know, and their substance was uh, taken as well. They were so used. And, and also, it says they were companions of them that were so used. So they were willing, there in verse uh, 33, so they were willing when, when others were being afflicted or tormented or, or treated ill, they were willing to go to their aid. 
and, and aid them, to, to associate with them, be identified with them. So they were not ashamed of the Lord. They were willing to identify with the Lord and with His people that were being persecuted. So these were saved people that the writer here is talking about. When others were attacked publicly for the word of God, they didn't forsake them. They aided them, they helped them. And thereby became companions. In other words, they suffered like those they helped. Suffered like those they helped. The writer also says in verse 34, you had compassion on me and my bonds. And many believe this is why this, they believe this is the Apostle Paul that wrote this. This is, this is his style of writing. That they gave of their substance to help him in his ministry and help him in his bonds. And they gave willingly and joyfully. It says in verse 34, If he had compassion on me and my bonds, it took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. But you know, trouble and afflictions can wear on a person. They can wear on a person. If we don't keep our eyes on the Lord, it can wear on us. If we don't meditate on, God, on God's Word, it can wear on us. You know, one of the tactics of the enemy is to get us distracted from the Word of God. Consume our time with other things so it will weaken us. I mean, if we don't have our time with the Lord, it will weaken us. And so, to wear us down. You know, after years of fighting the enemy, the Catholic Church, suffering martyrdom and persecution. The Waldensians, who stood faithful for thousands of years, thousand years, compromised the faith and joined the Protestants. See, they just wore out. The enemy wore them down. You know, sometimes the enemy just simply attempts to wear us out, to get us focused on our woes and not on the Lord. You know, we can become so focused on our woes and our troubles that we forget about the Lord. That's a dangerous place to be in. Yet you know, another tactic of the enemy is to get us puffed up with pride. Oh, you know, things are going great for me. I must be doing. I must be doing doing right. You know, I, I you know, I, I can handle this. You know, I got this all together. You know, that's why Paul had a thorn in the flesh. That's why God allowed Paul to have a thorn in the flesh, so he wouldn't get puffed up with pride. So he wouldn't be exalted above measure because of the revelations. You know, he had been, you know, he, he had been given much of the New Testament came through his writings. And of course, in all the evangelistic ministry, the, the missionary outreaches and, and the churches he planted, you know, nobody compared with the Apostle Paul in the service, service for the Lord. And so people would have tended to puff him up. And he could have been lifted up with pride. And so the Lord allowed a thorn of affliction in his flesh. Lest he be exalted. Historians say, that of, his, say of his thorn in his flesh that it made him ugly to look at. Could you imagine if, you know, if, if you had to get up you know, and, 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 and listen to somebody speak day after day or you, know, go, you want to go to somebody and they say, well, don't go see him. He's just plain ugly. 
You know, they think it was some kind of eye disease that affected his appearance. He was just really ugly to look at. And Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In other words, set aside. Sort of like a pot, you know, when a, when a potter is making a pot on the wheel and he makes the pot and it looks really nice and then he puts it in the kiln to get it, to cure it. And he brings it out and he examines it by the light and there's a little wee crack in the pot. You know what he does with it? He just sets it on a shelf. It has an appearance of a good pot but it's really useless. It's of no value. And that's what a castaway here is. Paul spoke of. You know, you know, if a saved person deliberately sins, which a saved person can, God will chasten them. However, if the case is serious enough, God may shorten their life. This is what the Bible calls the sin unto death. You see, to receive Christ by faith as Lord and Savior, and later think you have to do some things to keep yourself saved or trust in dead works, or as these people were tempted to, to go back to temple worship, to add to that, add to their salvation, or to make it easier for them to endure the persecution. So the Jews maybe would think more... make think better of them and not the, and ease the, the hardships and the trials. You know, well, I don't know what all the, the reasons there were, but, but you know, or you know, today's, you know, well, let's just be, let's just not be so, 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 uh, uh, take the, the Bible so literally. Let's be, let's just fit in with the world and live like the world. Oh, yeah, we still are saved, but let's just fit in the world. That's really going back to the flesh. That's, this, that's being disobedient or a lack of submission to the commands of God. So to not obey the known commands of God and the truth of God is to sin willfully and is to insult the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. It's a rejection of His Lordship. Notice what it says in verse 29, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. So it's to consider the Son of God really, you know, he, He's just my Savior. He's not, he's not a Lord. He's not worthy. He's not worthy of suffering for. He's not worthy of sacrifice. That's the philosophy of the world. But Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And see, to not obey the commands of God, then is to insult Him. Reject His Lordship. It's to quench the... The, the, the Spirit of God leading in your life. You notice again in verse, verse 29, the end of that verse says, and done despite under the Spirit of grace. It's to quench that Spirit, not submit to His leading as He, as he speaks to you through His Word. So this can, this can lead to death. He says, for if we sin willfully, the very... After we receive the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. This can lead to death. And, and we have some examples of this in the scriptures. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, some people believe they were not saved. I really believe they were saved people. 
I believe that's why God killed them. I believe if they'd have been unsaved people, they wouldn't have been killed. God wouldn't have struck them dead. But I believe they were saved people. They were members of the church of Jerusalem. Barnabas sold land, brought all the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a man of wealth, a man of means. Because of, the, because of the persecution, there was people in need that lost their employment. And, and so he sold land, and, and he brought it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet, and, and, and gave them the authority to distribute however they, they, the church people needed it. And so Andrews and Sapphira say they sold land also, but they didn't bring all the money as they said they did. They kept back part of it for themselves. And they agreed together to do this. But they, they pre- presumed that they were like Barnabas and brought all, brought all the money. And Peter says, why hast thou lied unto God? You see, you know, when, when, and we see another example. In, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth... Of course, they had many problems at the church of Corinth. And uh, he writes to address some of those things. And one of the problems was their their defiling of the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And and so he says to them in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. Now, if you, if you partake of the Lord's table and you have known sin in your life, you're going to bring the judgment of God upon yourself. So he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And that word sleep is they're not laying in bed with their head pillowed either. No, they're in a grave. The same word that's used over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where it talks about those that sleep in Jesus. So there were some people that, that had sinned unto death by the defiling of the Lord's Supper. You know, they were, they were bringing, some were bringing, they, they had, a, they had a, uh, uh, what they call a love feast, uh, like a, well... A good Baptist church fellowship, you know. So they had lots of food, and of course there was there was poor people in the church, and then there was wealthy people in the church. And so the wealthy people were bringing all lots of food, and they were eating and making gluttons of themselves. But you know what they weren't doing? They weren't sharing it with the poor. They had become judges of evil thoughts. They were causing divisions in the church. Paul said, for that reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. See, there is a sin unto death. You know, God wants us, when we receive his word, he wants us to judge ourselves. In fact, that's what the passage here says in verse 31. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So, so you and I have a choice when we're, when we're confronted with the truth of the word of God. We have a choice. We can judge ourselves and, and bring ourselves, examine our own life, and bring it into agreement and, and strive to please the Lord, or we can say, oh, I'm not going to do that, and have God judge us. See, God wants us to turn from our sinful ways and conform to His will. This is really what Hebrews 3 and verses 15 through 19 is all about. 
in the book of Hebrews, back in the book of Hebrews in verse chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, Wild us said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by noses. Now, now notice, some, when they had heard, did provoke. Now, all of them heard, but some of them provoked the Lord. You know, how did they provoke the Lord? They said, we're not doing it. We're not going in. God said, you go in and possess the land. They said, we're not going in. There's giants in there. There's walled cities in there. We're not going in. Do you think we're crazy? We're not going in. God, you know what they're really saying is, Lord, you're not Lord because you can't give us that land. It's the same thing as saying, I'm not submitting to the Lordship of Christ. But with whom, verse 17 says, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned? In other words, they had sinned willfully, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. To whom he sware that they should not enter into his rest, because, but to them that believed not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. You see, it wasn't that they didn't know but that they chose not to believe. They chose not to act in faith. They chose not to take God's word and apply it to their lives. Yeah, I knew a man. I knew a man that I believe committed the sin unto death. He attacked a pastor unjustly. He caused division, split a church. The sad part is, he admitted that what he was doing was wrong. I had first-hand knowledge of the situation. But he felt something needed to be done. So he did it anyway. You know, there are seven things the Bible says the Lord hates that are an abomination unto him. And one of them is sowing discord among the brethren. He sowed discord among the brethren. A split church. And within days, he was dead. An otherwise healthy man. And he had a heart attack in the church the night he planned on leaving. And on the way to the hospital, he had a massive heart attack and died. See, God says if you sin willfully, deliberately, you're in danger of judgment. You're in danger of judgment. 1 John 5.16 says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if any of you err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Yes, there is a sin unto death. This can be committed by a Christian who willfully sins against God. It's a sin that you know that you're sinning. It's not a weakness. 
It's not something you haven't given thought to, haven't thought through. No, it's just that you deliberately, knowingly do it in the face of God. But secondly, this willful sin can be committed by an unsaved person, and this we would call the unpardonable sin. Notice verses 38 and 39. Again, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure with him. Now, I believe that's talking about the saved person there, and and I'll explain that in a minute. Verse 39, though, says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. In other words, to destruction or to damnation, which means eternal death and hell. We're not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The words draw back here in both verses come from the same root word, yet are different forms, and thereby have a little different meanings. In verse 38, the word draw back is just draw back is one word. Uh, it's a Greek word, hopostalo. It means to cower or to shrink. It speaks of those who from timidity, they're a little bit timid, hesitate to avow what they believe. So they're, so they're a little bit hesitant to, to stand up and make their voice heard in times of trial or persecution. They're, they're just a little hesitant. You know, they're, they're a little timid. Paul, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and challenged him, be strong, Lord. We believe that Timothy was a timid person. He was a timid person. He wasn't, you know, Paul was just right out there. He was an extrovert. He wasn't, he, he didn't fear, seem to fear anyone. But, but Timothy was not of that same personality. He, he seemed to be a timid person. You know, and, and Peter was, was, was this, you know, again, we quoted from Galatians 2.12. And this is the word, same word here used in Galatians 2.12. And it's the word withdrew. For, before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, speaks into Peter. When they were come, he withdrew. In other words, he was timid or he was hesitant and separated himself. You know, he was, he was a little hesitant to eat with the Gentiles while there was Jews around because that was the, the law of the Jews. You don't eat with the Gentiles. But when, but when a person receives Christ, God doesn't see you as Jew and Gentile. He sees you as one in Christ. And Peter had a hard time coming to that understanding and acceptance of that. So he withdrew himself. In other words, he was timid. He was timid. And so that speaks of a person that is saved. Now, and so, you know, it describes a person who are saved. They displease the Lord by their lack of faith or confidence, and, and sometimes they're a little timid. Now, in verse 39, the words of them that draw back is all one word, and it's not hoops to let, oh, it's hoops to lay. And it means to stealthily retreating. Retreating. It speaks of a continuous action. You're going away. You're going away. It's also described as apostasy. And apostasy is a willful departure from the truth. So here in this verse, what you have is people who, who have come to the point that that you know they they they've understood the gospel. They've understood that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And they, and they understand that Jesus has made the payment and satisfied the justice of God for their sin. And they, they must repent to be saved. And you know what they do? They turn away. and start sleeping away from the truth. And what they're turning to is perdition. To their own judgment. 
to their own death and destruction and hell. See, they, they turned back to, to perdition. You see, to turn away from receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior is to give up any hope of ever. If you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no other way. There's no other way to have eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father by Him. You see, to turn away from Him, there's no other sacrifice acceptable to God for your sin. It is set the sure judgment of a holy and righteous God against you. You We see this examples of this many times in the ministry of Paul. In Acts chapter 17, he goes to Thessalonica. And and, Paul's custom always was he first went to the synagogue. And so in Acts chapter 17, it says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, that is the synagogue of the Jews, Three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He's the anointed of God. And some of them believe in consort of the Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few, but the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and salted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out unto the people. So, so the Jews, again, there's the Jews, they turned away and, and they moved with envy. They were envious because the Greeks were coming to Christ. They were envious. And because of the envy, they turned away. They're turning away to perdition. They're, rejections, they're rejecting salvation through Christ. Acts chapter 18 again. In verses 4 and 5, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. You know, they, they opposed, the Bible says that they opposed themselves. When you reject Christ as your only hope of salvation, you're opposing yourself. You're sealing your doom. You're choosing death over life. And so, this is a willful sin. But I don't know thirdly, the life of faith. Verse 38 again says, Now the just shall live by faith. You know, the Christian life begins by faith, and it continues by faith. It is referred to as a journey, a pilgrimage, a walk. Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, five times uses the word walk. Walk worthy, walk not as the Gentiles or the lost, walk in love, walk as children of the light, walk circumspectly. So we're talking about a continuous journey as a traveler who's on his way home. Because that's what we are. We're not home. This world is not our home. And the word faith means it's, a, it's a, of a conviction or a belief respecting a man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and conjoined with it. So and the word live means to emphatically, in the messianic sense, to enjoy life, to have true life worthy of the name 
It's, it's an active, blessed, endless life. So we could sum all that up by saying this. A life of faith is one where our living is directed to please the Lord from the heart that is filled with communion with Him through His Word. You know, out of a heart of love for Him. You know, He works in our hearts. And, it's, and, we, and He gives us desire to please Him and obey Him and to trust Him. You know, that we face a lot of things in life where the world says, you know, no, that's not the right way to do it, but we say, yes, it is. Because this is what the Word of God commands us. You know, the world thinks it's silly that you tithe and give faith promise offerings. I mean, you could use that money for other things. But you know, the IRS wants 15%, and that's okay. Can't we give God as much? And God says, if you, if you give me your tithes and offerings, I'll pour you out a blessing which you'll be not be able to receive. You're going to have a give God. It proves that you believe that God can do all things, that he is Lord. See, the world thinks that's silly. You do that by faith. You know, there's... To try and illustrate it, Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. See, his mind was to do the will of the Father. In Philippians 2, and let's turn over there for just a minute. Philippians 2, these are very, some very important verses to understand. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, so we're in the beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, so we're to work out what God works in. You know, the word worketh in you means, you know, is the, the word energy, energo, where we get the word energy, which is the source of life, both to will and to do his good will. And so we're to, the word will here, both to will means, the will means to have in mind or purpose. See, God puts in our hearts, as we commune with Him and spend time in His Word, He works in my heart and my life to give me a desire to have in mind or the purpose to obey Him. To keep His commandments. So He gives me that desire, or that will, that purpose. And the word do has the action. In other words, to, to put it into practice. To do that which pleases the Father. And so this is, the, this is what it means to live by faith. As the Word of God penetrates our hearts and minds and gets into our, it changes our desires and our will. And, when, and a man lives out of his heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 4 says. And what you fill your mind with and your heart with, what you read and what you listen to, is what you're going to live out. I mean, if you're around cursing and swearing all day long, you know what you're pretty soon starting to do? If you don't counter that with the truth of the Word of God, it's going to start coming out of your mouth. If you read all the philosophies of the world, you're going to believe all the philosophies of the world. If you, if you watch all the news and the garbage concerning the COVID and all that and the need of vaccines, you know what you're pretty soon you're going to do? You're going to believe all that. False science. 
They call it propaganda. They also call it programming. The world wants to program your mind. No, we need to program, program our minds with the truth, with the truth of the word of God. Put it in our minds. Colossians 2, 6 says, As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up. So that rooted has the idea, look, it's not coming, it's not something that has to do with the outward man, the works of the flesh. It's something that's coming from within. It's rooted in the Lord. That's the basis of it. Built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So again, it's not just something that's outward. It's the fruit of time spent meditating on the word of God, examining our conduct in light of the word of God. And again, it comes from the inner man, the spirit of man, as it fellowships with the Lord. You know, the guy said to me one time, well, I just don't have the faith you do. I said, well, you need to spend more time in the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's really not that complicated. It's what you fill your mind and heart with. You know, we also call this growth. Learning. You know, some of you in your work have ongoing training to learn to implement new techniques. I'm sure at, this, at the Franklin County, every once in a while, you have to take some courses to update yourself and different things that are coming out and, you know, and, and, and so on. And, and, and what you're doing is you're learning new things so you can implement new techniques to better yourself. You know, God wants us to learn of Him, learn of Him, and, and so that we can learn and add in fact, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, he's given us all things that pertains to life godliness, and he says that these things are to be multiplied or added. The word multiplied means to increase. The word add to means to be supplied or furnished with. You add to your faith virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, brotherly kindness, and, and so on. For if you, if, you, if you do these things, you shall not be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. See, if you don't spend time in the Word of God learning, you're going to be like a blind man wandering around the world not sure what God wants you to do. Sort of like you'd be at the, the city of Raleigh. Well, you know, well, I'm not taking any of their courses. I'm not taking any of their ongoing learning. And then they implement these things. Well, well I don't know what to do with that. Why? Because you didn't put the time in it to learn it. See, when, when we get saved, God wants us to learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. That is the Christian life. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, that is your desires, on the things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You see, the Christian life is a life of faith. It's not just that I got saved and then that's the end of it. It's ongoing. 
I'm learning. I'm learning to be that living sacrifice that is pleasing to him, being conformed to his will by being transformed by renewing of the mind. So, you know, as we think about this this morning, let's think about facing the judgment of God. We're all going to face the judgment of God. If you're saved, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ for the things done in your body, whether they're good or bad. If you're not saved, you're standing before the great white throne and then cast into hell. Sure, without Christ. See, we can either face the judgment with faith and confidence, or to be fear. Fear. How is your affection this morning? Is your desire set on set on Him? Do you live by faith? Do you know Him as your Lord? And as your Savior, are you striving to walk or live in obedience to Him? Are you learning of Him?